Hello, my name is Kirsten and I work here at the house. Um, and I just want you guys to know that um, I'm really glad you all are here. I mean, I really, really, really do hope that your guys' semester so far has been wonderful. Um, I've been praying the word thrive over this year for each of you, so I hope that you experience a lot of thriving this year. Um, so with that, I'm going to pray, and then we will talk about First John. Um, Father God, I pray tonight that um, as you tell us that you will give us understanding and you will show us truth, that we may know your truth and know your understanding, and that we may simply thrive in your real life. Prince in your name, amen. Um, so there's this uh, brand of clothing that I really, really love a lot. Um, some of you girls probably have heard of Lululemon. Uh, some of you guys, Connor, um, he knows about Lululemon. Some of you guys, if your um, girlfriends or moms wear it, or if any of you guys are old school around here and you remember Thomas Bowman, he wore Lululemon shorts every single day for nine months, so you can remember that. Um, but Lululemon is a brand of kind of performance clothing that you not only feel great when you work out in, but you, like when I wear it, I'm just like, I'm the prettiest person ever. Um, it makes you feel so good. And literally, if I made a ton of money, my whole wardrobe would probably be all Lululemon. And right now I have like a couple items that I've gotten at like unclaimed baggage or been handed down, or maybe I found like a super great sale. Um, or if I'm really lucky that somebody's given it to me for Christmas or for my birthday. So two years ago for Christmas, my sister-in-law who has great taste and brother mailed Jonathan, my husband and I, a Christmas package. And so my husband, Jonathan, is not really the most patient person when it comes to gifts. And so he's like, we got to open them now. So we go and we open our box of our Christmas presents. And Jonathan's presents are on top. And he opens it. And it's a pair of Seahawks socks. So pretty cool. Um, and a bow tie. So we're like, great. Very normal, like, family gifts. So I go to open mine. And I open my present. It's a pair of Lululemon yoga pants. I was so excited. Okay, then I go to open the next one, and it is a Lululemon tank top, and there's one more left, and so I go to open the last one, and it's one of those, like, Lululemon zippies with the thumb holes in it, and I was so excited. Jonathan, on the other hand, was very jealous of my great gift, um, but then quickly I was like, oh my gosh, my gift that I gave to them was not nearly as great as this, and so I quickly, like, got online and bought them something else, even though Jonathan was like, you don't have to do that. So we go ahead and we go on with Christmas. We go to Arkansas, visit his family. And then on our way back home, um, we stop at the Lululemon store because my short little legs didn't really work with the long yoga pants. So I go up to the front and I was like, hey, I need to exchange these pants. And they're like, okay, go ahead, take a look at the store and pick out whatever you'd like to exchange for them. So I think I've just gotten really lucky because for the first time ever, there's like a great sale happening at Lululemon. So I pick out like two things and I'm like, I'm going to exchange these pants for these two things. So I go up to the counter and I was like, okay, I'm ready to make my exchange. And the lady looks at me and she's like, oh, well, uh, hold on. I need to go get my manager. 
So I got, I got a little nervous, but I was like, maybe the manager just needs to do the exchanging. So the manager comes up to me, and she looks at me, and she says, "Hun, these are knockoffs. I did not even know that Lululemon had knockoffs, like that there were even fake ones out there. And so I look at her and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, like these were a gift. I got really nervous that she thought that I was like trying to scam her or something. And so I was like, but these, these pants, they look just like the real thing. Like there's a little symbol on the back, the tag looks exactly like it's supposed to. She goes, hold on. She goes and gets a pair of like the real Lululemon pants and she says, okay, look at the symbol on the back. She says, okay, the symbol on the authentic pants lays really flat. The symbol on your fakes bumps up a little bit, <laughs> right? Then, then she goes, I go, okay, well, what about the tag? She says, look at the tag. The very bottom font below the barcode, like these three words, see how that font is a little bit bigger? It's like, yeah. She's like, that's what the authentic, it's a small font, and your fakes have a very large font. I would have never, ever been able to tell the fake pair of pants if I would not have ever seen the authentic. And once I began to actually wear these clothing, when I took the yoga pants and wore them to yoga, they didn't like sweat wick like they're supposed to. My cute little zippy started like coming apart, like it started, the thread started falling apart. The real thing was so much better than the fake. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about counterfeit things. We're talking about knockoffs. We're talking about idols. And really what we're talking about is us as idol makers, because we are the ones that create the idols. We're the ones that give power to these dead things. We're the ones that would give life to these counterfeit gods. We create idols. And we give life to idols when we fall into their counterfeit solutions. So the end, the very end of 1 John, so all semester we've been walking through this book of 1 John, I mean all semester, all five weeks of your semester. Um, and so at the very end of it, 1 John 5, it says that Jesus has come to give us understanding. And he also says that Jesus has come to give us truth. And not just to give us this truth untangibly, but he says, I want you to know truth so intimately that I'm saying you can be in truth. And then John echoes the words of Jesus and says that not only can you be in truth, but Jesus himself is this truth. So at the end of 1 John, what he's saying is that Jesus is offering us real truth and real understanding, which is really interesting because I feel like us as humans, that's what we want. We're always wanting to understand why something happened or how it's going to happen. And we're always wanting to know what is true. Yet even though Jesus is offering us the definition of truth in himself and understanding, we get impatient our minds and our hearts get distracted and look to other things. We become unsure of him being the truth or we, we doubt that maybe he actually wants to give that to us. 
And so as opposed to looking to him for that truth and that understanding, we begin to look for other things to be this remedy. And we begin to fall for these counterfeit solutions. And I know when I think about idols, like kind of my first thought that comes to mind is Old Testament idols, like a golden calf or a giant statue or something. Um, And then the next kind of thing is, okay, an idol is something that busies me, like Netflix or a romantic relationship or social media. But none of these things in and of themselves are actually bad or actually idols. But it's when we put these things in the place of God that they become idols. When we begin to look for these things to solve our problems, when we begin to follow and listen to these things, that is when we give them power. So it's when we go to Netflix to solve our loneliness that Netflix becomes an idol. And it's when we go to our boyfriend or girlfriend and say, okay, if you tell me that I'm lovable, or if you tell me that I'm manly enough, then I'm worth something. That's when we make that into an idol. Or when we go to social media and say, okay, if I get this many likes on Instagram doing this one thing, then that is who I am and that's who I need to be. And that's when we make that into an idol. It's when we look to anything but the authentic, real God, Jesus, to be the remedy to our brokenness, to give us worth, and to tell us who we are, that we are creating idols, that we are falling for these counterfeit solutions. So there's this show on Netflix, Idol, um, that I watch, and it's called White Collar. And the premise of this show is that this guy, Neil, is a um, con man, and he, like, counterfeits art, he forges art. But the FBI has brought him out of jail so that he can be their consultant. So he can go with them to these crime scenes and help them figure out what are forgeries and what are not. And so the whole show, like every single episode, it's Peter, the FBI agent, and Neil going to a new crime scene. And the really hard part about a lot of these crime scenes is that when they have an art forger, usually, you know, the forger forges a piece of art, puts it up, and takes the original with him. And so it's really hard for them to tell what is real and what is not because they don't have the real to look at. And so that's why they bring Neil along because Neil knows these artists and knows these masterpieces so well. He could tell you what the paint felt like, which way the strips were going, the swoops were going on a certain mountain if it was in this certain time period by this artist. He could tell you the kind of paper it was. Neil knew these masterpieces, these original works of art, so well he could tell the forgery. He was able to distinguish these priceless works of art from these worthless forgeries. And that is what we need to do. That is the only way we will be able to step out of idolatry is if we know the original, is if we know God, if we know Jesus so well that we can then tell that something is a fake. And lucky for us, when Jesus says that he, when John tells us that Jesus says that he is this understanding, he's not just saying he's this like mind, okay, I got it, 
like understanding, but that it is this intimate understanding, this knowledge of him, this relationship with him. And so when we are in relationship with Jesus, when we know him, we will, be, we will very easily be able to reject these counterfeit solutions because we know what they look like and what they are not. And when we give life to idols, we actually invite death into our life as well. See, the tricky thing about idols is that when we look to them for these solutions, they give us some of our answers that we're looking for at first. Yet all the while, death is looming. See, if I want attention, and so I'm like, okay, if I change my body, then I'm going to get attention. If I do that, I usually do get attention. Or, okay, if I want to fit in, so I'm gonna join this club, and I'm going to be part of this community, and I'm gonna have this certain title so that I can fit in, well, usually fit in. Or if I want a lot of stuff, I'm like, okay, I can just work a lot so I can buy it and get a lot of stuff. Well, get a lot of stuff. Or if I really want to avoid things, I'm like, okay, I know if I begin to be really busy, I can avoid things and I can kind of find my identity in that. But what's happening is even though you are receiving these things you are looking for, death like cancer, is entering in and beginning to kill you. These idols that you have consumed now began to consume you. So I spent um, two summers in college in the Dominican Republic and traveled there many other times taking people on spring break trips. And you can put this picture up there of this little girl. So there she is. Um, I would work in these Haitian refugee villages, and they were surrounded by these things called sugarcane. That's what she's holding. Um, and so sugarcane was one of their absolute favorite things to just have around. So much so that they would all like, I mean, I literally probably thought, saw a three-year-old with a machete ready to go cut down some sugarcane. Kind of terrifying. But they would go out in the mornings, cut down a bunch of sugarcane, and then just gnaw on it all day. And they loved it. It was really sweet and free. And the thing about the sugar cane that she's holding, that's it right there, is that not only was it sweet, but it turned their teeth super white. So you can see kind of how pretty her teeth are. Um, that was a sugar cane. It really felt like Crest should do like a, we sponsor the Dominican um, advertisement with our teeth whitener. But what these kids didn't know was that when they chewed on their sugar cane, yes, it turned their teeth white, but it also began to rot them out. So these kiddos with pearly white teeth soon became teenagers with no teeth at all. And that is what's happening when we allow idols into our life. We begin to be rotted away at. If you can think of the number of like famous people you know, you, well you know, you read about, um, that you know, have these like fabulous lives and they have everything they want, but they end up dying really unhappy. Or when we go back to this list of things that we can do to get what we want out of it. So if we begin to 
make changing our, our bodies, changing ourselves an obsession, when we make our whole life about that, yes, we get attention, but the death that's produced in the midst of that is the kind of death that leads someone to starve themselves. And it's the kind of death that leads someone to inject foreign substances into their body, even though they know it is terrible for them, simply for them to have a certain physique. And when we join a club, when we are, uh, have some sort of title in a certain community and we're doing this so we can belong, we begin to feel like we're belonging, but we begin serving that place and that thing above serving God, the death that is introduced often looks like competition. It looks like losing yourself. And when we begin to make work our number one, when we make, begin to make work our whole entire life, yes, we're able to get stuff, but the death that's introduced there often looks like covetedness. Always wanting more. Never being satisfied with what they have always being afraid that somebody will try to replace them and hiding themselves in. Or when we listen to this idea of busyness, and we begin following that, yes, we find some identity in the things we are doing, but the death that is introduced there is stress, is burnout, and often very shallow relationships. We think that idols are going to promise us and produce all of these really great things. We think idols will produce life, but they actually give us death. We think idols will give us worth, but they actually take it. And we think idols will give us truth, but they feed us lies. And we think idols will give us eternal solutions, yet they only give us temporary ones. The things we think idols produce are really just counterfeits. They're not the real thing. The best picture I have of what an idol looks like comes out of Psalm 115. So, Daniel, if you could put that scripture up there. We'll read. Their idols are silver and gold the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not hear. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. This is us. We are the ones making and giving power to these idols, and as we do so, that death is introduced, and we begin to produce that. When we trust in them, we begin to become like these idols. But the good news? is that the authentic God, the real God, Jesus, says that if we follow him, that we will become like him. 
And what he promises, he actually does produce. He promises us life. And he gives us so much life that he can even take the dead and raise it. And he promises us worth and he offers it. He promises us understanding and he gives it. He promises us truth and he says that we can live in it. He promises us eternity and he offers that to us. If we follow him, we become like him and begin to produce these things as well. If we want to live in in Christ and in this real life, we must reject the false and embrace the real. See, 1 John ends, like this whole entire really intense letter, the whole thing ends with this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It seems to me upon first reading it that it's like a super quick ending to this really, really like big letter. But the more I read it and study it, it makes sense. See, in this sermon series, what we've picked up on is that John is really trying to communicate this assurance to his readers. And here we have been trying to communicate this assurance to you all that we can be in Christ, that Christ is the truth, that Christ is the true revelation of who God is. And so as he ends this this, um, epistle with keep yourself from idols, I think he actually is assuring us that whatever you're looking for isn't found in them, but it's found in Jesus. And so then what do we do if we've already found ourselves becoming like these idols we're serving? What do we do when we found ourselves clothed in these substitute gods? Well, we look to a passage in Ezekiel 36 and see what God has to say about what he wants to do with our idols. If you can put that up there. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your forefathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. God says that if we want to get rid of these idols, he will cleanse us. He will remove them. He will change us. In fact, he will so much change us that he's going to take this heart of stone that has been created in us and replace it with a heart of flesh. And then he says that he will put his spirit in us which sounds a lot like what John says, that he wants us to be in Christ and in truth and now in this spirit. So if we want to be done with idols, God is saying, I'm here to remove it. But we must reject them if we want to step into this real life, this renewal.
Before I was married, I was in a couple of longer relationships, and um, in both of the ones that I was in, I had a lot of trouble letting go. Whether we had broken up and I just wanted to hold on even longer, or maybe like some of them we were still in it and I just didn't want to admit that they were done. And I held on to them, to these literal dead relationships, because I wanted to not feel lonely. I wanted to know that I was going to be okay and it wasn't going to be a huge mess and be lonely and alone forever. I wanted to have some worth and some value, and so I held on to these things and did not let them die. But what would have happened is if I, would have, if I wouldn't have let them go and wouldn't have let them die before I met Jonathan. It would have been super hard to pursue a relationship and a marriage with him while I'm holding on to these dead relationships. And when I met him and we got married, I began to realize that he was not offering me this freedom from loneliness, this assurance that I was going to be okay for the rest of my life or offering me worth and value, but instead what he was doing was he was pointing me to the authentic. He was pointing me to the real thing to Jesus, who then was offering me things. He was pointing me to the authentic, to Jesus, not to the knockoff, to be the remedy to my brokenness. He was pointing me to the authentic, to Jesus, not to the substitute, to tell me my worth. And I was being pointed to the authentic, to Jesus, not the counterfeit, to tell me who I was. And so when we are offered this real life, why don't we step into it? I think even though it's really clear that, and we're told that Jesus is the true God and real life, that sometimes it's hard to believe that he's both true and real. And then we say, well, what is even real life? Like, what does real life look like? It feels like something that is so distant and is somebody else, like somebody whimsical, skipping along. This is real life. Like, it just feels like other. And I was talking uh, last week to the student interns. I was asking them if, what they thought real life was, since it feels kind of not right here. And Ashley McGee came up with a beautiful answer. She said that it felt like freedom that real life was a freedom to be herself with God and with others. And I loved this. And it made sense because if we are told that we must lose our life to then find it, but that we are finding it hidden in Christ and that this life looks very abundant, that this life will look a lot like a full picture of who God created us to be, freedom makes a lot of sense. And then when we look, what in the world is real life? We look at that, well, Jesus says that he is real life. And so if we want to know what it looks like, we look at Jesus, because he's that picture of it. The things he produces, the things he does, the things he says, that's this real life. Galatians 5 paints us a really great picture of what life looks like when we follow Jesus 
of what things are produced when we begin to worship him. And it, con- it contrasts really well a life of what the, that life looks like when we follow idols. And so as we read it, I want you to, to think about these things that are being produced following idols, and these things that are being produced following Jesus' real life, about what you want to be showing off. Because we are told that no matter idol or Jesus, that we will become like them when we begin to follow them. So Eugene Peterson um, translated this section of Galatians 5 really beautifully. So if you put that up there. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all of the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of the mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs at happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfying wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when you live God's way? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic loneliness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. This is real life. May your life be one where you let the living God remove the idols from your life so that you may step into this real life. And may you be people who live out the very end of 1 John, 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that he has sent his son so that we may have understanding, that he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is truth and we may be in him who is truth and we may be in his son, Jesus Christ, because he is the true God and eternal life, real life. So little children, keep yourselves from idols.